and welcome to Let's Talk About Brand. I, of course, am your host, Christine Gritman. Now, sometimes we're talking about personal branding here. Sometimes we're talking about consumer product branding. And here's the thing, regardless of which type of brand you are building, you are ultimately building a brand to resonate with people. Understanding those people and what will resonate with them is a hugely important part of branding. And today's guest, Kimmy Scotty, has built brands both just springing from her own personal interests and also as an investor in other people's brands where she deliberately expanded her knowledge and stretched to learn more about verticals that she wasn't as intimately familiar with. So today, Kimmy and I are going to talk about brand building from the inside out, as she did with her own jewelry company and now with her skincare line, Fig One. But then also branding from the outside in, where you really look at all the market research, you really take those efforts to learn about things you don't already know, and then incorporate those into the brand, as Kimmy has done not only with brands that she's built herself, but also with the brands that she has supported as an investor with her investment firm, 8VC. So today we're going to talk about what goes into brand building, what you really need to know if you're going to be building a brand, how you can learn what you don't know, what the important elements of a brand are, what she looks for as an investor, and also why she has decided to build her own skincare brand rather than simply finding one and helping grow it. This has been a really incredible conversation today about brand and about passion and about learning, and about how a good gut is an incredible asset when it comes to brand building. Passion is an incredible asset, but when it comes down to it, you really do need to focus on some of those learnings, as Kimmy herself shares with us on her journey. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. We all know how crucial understanding our target market is for brand building. And nobody can speak to that better than Kimmy Scotty, because not only has she been a part of building all sorts of brands in all sorts of verticals as the founding partner of 8VC, but she also built her own skincare brand, Figure One, around a target market of essentially herself and people like her. So we're going to talk about building brands from the inside and building brands from the outside, the commonalities of those processes, how they're different, whether you're building for a target market that you yourself are a part of. Without any further ado, let's bring her on. Hello, Kimmy. Hi, Christine. Thank you so much for having me. We were talking before we went live about how we both grew up in Clinique families with the three-step system and the gifts with purchase. And it really, it really does create a lifelong love. I'd actually like to start there, oddly enough. We, we both, you know, had brand affinities from an early age for brands that we were exposed to. So what are your kind of 
early earliest memories of really understanding the importance of brand as opposed to like this does this this does that this solves this problem brand affinity of i want to seek out this brand we we mentioned clinique what are some other brands that were sort of part of your early formulation of almost yourself as a person as a brand consumer it's that is such a great question and also it would be just like a fun dinner party question as well I think for me, I grew up in Queens in New York. And one of the first brand affinities that you, you know, that you kind of acquire when you're from Queens is a sneaker brand. And so I remember, you know, really wanting my sneakers to be a Nike sneaker and a particular basketball player sneaker, you know, that kind of thing. And so I feel like that was the first, you know, my first real understanding of like, oh, this is a, you know, this is a brand and this is an affinity for a brand that's so particular. And then hmm, Clique is a good one. I, you know, I really stuck with that brand until well into college. You know, I started with the yellow cream. I got on Clinique Happy. Clinique Happy fragrance was like my fragrance all the way through college from the time I was like probably 12 when it launched. And so I remember having also a real affinity for Clinique. And then the last one I really remember like early on kind of attaching myself to was Apple. And so I got, I remember I was going to FIT, the fashion soup technology, and it felt like this is the computer for creatives. And in order to, you know, to be that, I really need, you know, this type of computer, an Apple computer. And so I remember going, you know, to buy my first Apple computer with the money I made from my little jewelry brand. And so I remember buying it and really thinking, oh, now I'm a real creative. Now, speaking of your jewelry brand, you created your own brand super duper early and you didn't even intend to create it as a brand for other people. You created, if I understand the story correctly, which you'll tell us all in a moment, you created something that you found appealing, that you felt called to create, and it happened to resonate with other people, which is such a cool way to build a brand. But the coolest part of all is you were 15 years old. So tell us, Kimmy, about this first brand that you created and at what point you realized it even was a brand or a business. That's it's so fun. And actually, I have such a good story to tell you about this. So when I was 15, I was I was shopping around in New York City with my mom and it started to pour rain, torrential downpour. And so we just ducked into the nearest door. And that door happened to be a bead store, like a wholesale bead store in the fashion district on Sixth Avenue in New York City. And I made something while we were in there. We had all the time in the world. It was pouring rain. And when I left, I was wearing it and a woman stopped me and she said, I love that necklace. Where did you buy it? You know, thinking I was going to say Macy's or something. And I, you know, snapped in and said, you know, I'm actually a designer. And so I can, you know, I can make you one or have one made for you. And she ended up buying the necklace. I did the quick math in my head. What did I spend to make it? I charged her double and I was in business. And so you know, it was my first real, you know, real experience as an entrepreneur and realized, oh, I can do this. I can actually create something that other people identify, you know, as wanting to represent their own personal style. And I loved, I always loved making things. So this seemed like a natural progression for me. I love that. Now, how did you realize, though, that it was a larger brand and that this was a business now and not just something cool that you could make a hobby out of? How did you take that extra step 
First of all, I'm, I really admire your confidence as a teenager to have something admired on you and to say, yes, I'm a designer. Like calling yourself, branding yourself as a designer, yeah. that's just incredible. But, but yeah, like how did you realize that that was really like, this is a business. This is not just something I'm doing. It's, you know, that's such a good question. So from there, I started making more things and kind of blew out what I thought was, you know, a collection, right? I was like, okay, I'm going to make a handful of necklaces, but also bracelets and earrings and, you know, have it kind of, you know, be cohesive you know, and something that looked like a real designer, right? That's what I was doing. And I, and so I created something that could be, oh, these items could be worn together. Or if you saw them on separate people, you'd be like, oh, these things are related somehow. And I you know, had a real sense for what that might be like, because I worked in a little boutique at the time. I was working in a little jewelry store. It had jewelry and fashion and denim. And it was a cool little store called Nola's. And I, you know, started seeing line sheets. And so I had a real sense of like, oh, this is what a line looks like when you describe it that way. And a real obsession with fashion myself. And so I started pulling, you know, really creating these things. So it looked cohesive that way. And friends and family started buying and wearing, right? So I started having little jewelry party, like almost like a Tupperware party where I would sell the jewelry. And then this amazing woman, she was, she has a store in Edgewater, New Jersey, and she was a mom in, in the town I was from. And she said, you know what, let me sell a couple of these pieces. And so I sold her a couple of pieces. She asked for them on consignment. And I was like, you know, I don't do consignment, right? I don't have enough cash to be able to like lend you pieces. And then you sell them sort of, you know, as you do and, and pay me back. If you really want to commit to it, really commit to it. And she did to her credit. She really saw a young designer in me. She believed in me. And, you know, she bought a handful of pieces and she would really move product. And so she created consistent orders for me for years, all the way through college, like seven years I worked with her. And she was my first store. She was my first store to believe in me. And it was amazing. Again, I love that you had the guts to say, no, I don't do consignment. Instead of just jumping at every conceivable opportunity, at such yeah. a young age, you were able to be like, nope, this is what this is. And this is what it isn't. Now, one thing that I find really interesting is that, you know, instead of saying, you know, this is just what I do. And, you know, years later, this is, you know, having just making that jewelry business your whole career, you yeah. branched out, you branched out into other verticals, doing other things, and including other things that weren't just yours. So I'd love to hear how you came to become a, a an investor and how you came to start 8BC. So it's so interesting. I realized I went to FIT. I thought, oh, I'm a jewelry designer. I should go to design school and get a certificate that said that. So it's so funny that you're picking up all these things where like I exuded absolute confidence in what I was. But also I still thought for some reason I needed a piece of paper that proved I could do this if I was going to do this for the rest of my life. And at that point, I really thought I would. And when I got to FIT, what I realized very quickly is what I had is a unique sense for business, not necessarily the best design sense. I'm more, and it's funny because I would more describe myself and still describe myself this way as a maker. I like to make things and I, and I like to make a lot of different things, even still now, jewelry, fashion. I like to make elaborate meals. I, I like to learn how to make things in general and furniture with my sister sometimes. And so I love to design and build. And that actually is very much a, an entrepreneurial 
business mindset versus a designer mindset where you like have a lot of deep expertise in one particular type of design. And so um, I realized that my medium as a designer was not necessarily jewelry or fashion. It was actually business. And so I, when I was leaving FIT, I ended up going into a family office. I learned about what a family office was and investing was inside of this family office in New York. And what they were looking for was a young entrepreneur to help them bring ideas to fruition. And so I went in to do that with them. Ultimately, I fell in love with investing because the thing about investing, there's, you know, there's a lot to love about investing, actually. But one of my favorite things about it is it's like a lifelong pursuit of learning and solving your curiosity. You get interested in a category. You spend a lot of time studying, understanding that market really well understanding the problems and the needs of a particular type of customer, and then seeking a solution for that to to align yourself to. And so there's, you know, there's a lot to be passionate about there. And so I love solving a problem. And so this is really like, I would describe it as industrial strength problem solving. And so, you know, going from that family office, ultimately, you know, started a number of companies there and, and helped build a number of companies there, and then started APC with my partners who, you know, who are amazing and who had been professional investors already in some cases, you know, to be able to to do that in an industrial strength way. Now, you've built your own brands, you've built your own companies, and, and we'll get to your most recent company in just a bit. But helping other people build their brands and their companies, I'm really curious about how that shift went for you. Because when you started building a brand, you know, it's not exactly that you happened into it. You seemed like you were pretty clear headed. But the fact is, you know, you learned on the job. And now here you were applying those learnings to someone else's baby. So wow. what were some of the early kind of adjustments in mindset to that that you had to apply when it wasn't your brand? And what was actually similar? So interesting. So this is a great question. I think that when you're handling someone else's brand and company, you have to be careful not to inject too much of yourself into that business because they're almost like the purest form of, of that brand has come from like that founder and that founding team. And so I try to give them more of my learnings from building my own companies and then tell them that their instinct is as important as my experience. And so I might give them a framework for making a decision versus an actual answer to making a decision. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You're an advisor. You're, yeah, you're still exactly. part of the creative team. You're still part of the brand building team, but you are mm -hmm. one voice as opposed to being the voice. Exactly. And I think that's really important to remember. There's, you know, I've seen instances where investors try to really force a particular type of solution or a change yeah. into business. and I think it's I, I think it's short sighted, honestly, like, sure, you might get to something more quickly and answer more quickly, but actually you're creating like a brand debt, you know, in that business that I think is really challenging. And sometimes your answer or your experience is the answer. But often the world has changed enough since you last built that actually it's not the right answer. Mm hmm. And how do you find those answers? Because again, you know, when you were building your own brand based on just, you know, your instincts, your killer instincts, it was, it was probably a pretty different situation than when you were helping people, you know, actively in kind of stretch roles in verticals that you weren't an expert in. 
how did you really learn and and come to be a contributing expert in what those types of brands really needed when it was something where you had to maybe do that extra step of different types of outside research? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I ultimately really leverage data and information. And so looking at when I'm looking at a business and that I'm spending time on and there's a problem to solve, I'm like, what does the data say about this problem? And so if it's like, you know, for for instance, a fashion brand, it's like, okay, what have sales been like in which categories and look deeply at the customer data to see what they're kind of asking for based on the information to decide how to how to move forward. And I think that you have to take it both ways from the broad sweeping data, like there, there will be averages that make a lot of sense. But if you drill down to your real core customer group, there tends to be smaller whispers of information in your data that you need to dig into and really focus on because there, you know, it might look like, oh, this product is really popular, but actually what's really popular is something else about it, that it has pockets or something like that. And so it's like, okay, why, what makes this thing really, you know, really sort of like an obsession worthy product? And it might not be what you think it is, right? It might not be the print. It might be something else entirely. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. One thing I'm always really fascinated about when it comes to startup brands and brands that are in the process of getting investors is I wonder, you know, I'm sure that there's a huge variance about this in terms of what different investors prefer. But on the one hand, there can be a situation where, okay, this brand is really strong. This brand knows what the heck it's doing. This brand has that special spark. I want to hop in and just help it grow, but let it do its own thing and not really, you know, contribute too much. But then there's also the creative challenge of, you know, they've got a good product. They've got a good start to their brand. I think that they just need to blow out the brand a bit more in order to be what they can be. So do you understand the difference that I'm talking about? Because I'm very curious about how you feel about that from an investor perspective, because obviously you love branding. You have been a brand builder yourself. You are a brand builder, but you know, you also respect the brand builder. So how much, where does the branding tend to be with the sorts of companies that you like to invest in? Do you like to see something that's a good start and really help blow it up? Or do you like to see something where you're like, ooh, that brand's got something. I want to make sure that it has a solid business behind it. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you get what I'm asking? <laughs> yeah. And I think the, that's such a good question. I think the answer is a bit of both. Sometimes when I meet a founder, like, and I'll use the, I'll use Nell Diamond from Hill House Home as the example. I'm wearing Hill House today. I'm always wearing Hill House, honestly, because she's such a good example. When I saw Nell initially, her company was smaller, right? It was, you know, pre-raising capital. 
But it was very clear to me when you stepped inside the business that two things were true. One, she had excellent fundamentals, really understood her margin, really understood you know, how to make a product that made sense as a business. But on the other side, she was a clear world builder, right? She knew what she wanted the world to look like. She knew how her customer wanted to see the world. And she really built that for them. And I think that that has to be true if you're going to build a lifestyle company. And so when I got involved in that business, it was nascent. It was the first you know, round of institutional capital, but it was already very clear that she had you know, this, both the skill set to run an incredible business and had proven that, but also the really the understanding of how to world build a brand for this, you know, for this particular customer. And I thought that was like, those two things are really hard to find in one person, honestly. And she really has that. Sometimes there's an incredible product and it, it has a weak brand. People are amazing at finding and telling each other about great products, even if the brand is not awesome. And so you might build something innovative, like what comes to mind are like all those kitchen gadgets you see marketed on TV and then, right? That might, it might be a great product, but they have maybe not the best, you know, most elevated brand experience or, you know, they might not have the best, you know, most clean checkout experience or whatever, but they tend to be a great, they might be a great business. They tend to be a great product, especially if it's something that's organically, you know, getting in the drawers of, you know, every household in America. And so I really love things like that also that are incredible products, but not an incredible brand. And you can really help it get to that next level. And so I really look for both of those things. All right. So you have been helping build all these incredible brands. You built your own brand. Then you built, helped build all these other incredible brands. But there was something still lacking there. You felt a need for amazing, amazing skincare. Clearly, as a skincare junkie, you had, you know, you had some great brands that you loved and that you used. What prompted you to go to dive back into the role of building your own brand and company from scratch instead of simply finding a skincare company that maybe fit your standards and investing in it? What made you want to build your own? Because that's such a fascinating area to me, especially because yeah. a lot of businesses, people start with something that they can have their arms around entirely. Like your jewelry business, you knew how to just kind of make it like you, you made it and that was that. With a skincare brand, you have to find scientists. You have to do R&D and production. And like, it's a whole outside of you thing. There's so much overhead, all of that. So what made you decide to take that on and build something new? I mean, I think the high level answer is psychosis, right? <laughs> so crazy to decide to jump back into building another brand and company. But really, the the real answer is price point. And so... I'm obsessed with skincare, have been since I'm 11 years old. We've been talking about that. I went looking for an investment to make. I saw over 100 companies in the space in about a year with my team and could not really get behind something. Not because there was nothing great in the market. There's a lot of great skincare products. And I'm like, I didn't used to use some of the products. I still use a lot of other brands products. And I'm really clear about that in my own online presence as well. And as a, as big one as a brand, we we also are always like, you know, clear about other products that we love. And when you come to our site and go through our user experience on the consultation front, 
we will inject and include other brands that either you use or we recommend into your free consultation. And so we really do have a lot of respect for other things in the market. The problem when I was looking at the market for something to invest in is that there was a lot of great products at wildly high prices. And so I thought to myself, something has to be able to be built that is super high potency, active ingredients, but at a price point that made sense and didn't break the bank. And so, you know, I really think of us as like kind of the American answer to the French pharmacy. And so when, you know, I love to go to Europe and go into the French pharmacies and they have the most amazing beauty products and from a lot of brands that we don't have here. And I'm like, why don't we have that in at CVS? And so I built that with my team. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Now, when you were building that brand, again, it came from your your own desire as a consumer and your own needs. Did you uh, mostly focus on that? Or did you say, you know what, we're going to branch out also, I don't have acne troubles, but we need an acne line. Or, yeah. you know, I'm not really aging yet visibly, but we need the hardcore. And did you kind of stick to your own stuff or did you branch out? And either way, what kind of outside research did you conduct and how, given that client zero was really you? This is such a great question. So when we started to br- build the brand of Fig One, you know, we started with science. So fig one is short for figure one, the first image in a science textbook, because that is really the foundation of the brand is science, is great science and great chemistry. So while I was researching all of these skincare companies hoping to make an investment, I um, seeked out the advice of a lot of amazing scientists, the head of Harvard Dermatology, the head of Stanford Dermatology, Penn Dermatology, all these amazing dermatologists and chemists, and ultimately pulled them in when we were formulating Fig One to to verify our assumptions, to test product, to look at the the line as a whole and see if this really solved the problems that they were trying to solve in their own practices. And so I really aligned to a lot of top dermatologists, estheticians, and chemists, and then partnered with my, you know, my founding team now, Dr. Courtney Rubin, who's our chief medical officer, and Lizzie Trelstad, our, our former head of chemistry, who formulated everything, you know, that that's in the products. And so, you know, alignment to science and research in those areas was a really important step in developing the brand. It was the most important step in developing the brand. Now, you've built brands from scratch as a teenager who was just kind of doing your own thing. And now as an adult, a person who has invested in a lot of brands and learned a lot and seen a lot, not that much, you're still young, but (laughs) what are some of the differences you've experienced this second go around of building a brand, knowing all that you know from the journey that happened in between? And what perhaps are some of the similarities to building a brand this time? Okay, this is such a great question. The So I would say the only thing that's similar is that everything is new again every single time, right? Every time you start a new company, even though I have all of this amazing experience, the market changes, the category is different. All of, you know, all of these things are new. And so then your experience is almost entirely new. Sure, I know how to do like incorporation docs and, you know, I have teams for these things. But I also, you know, when we started marketing our skincare products, it's the most crowded market there is, is the skin, is beauty business. And so, you know, in terms of 
learnings, you're just really starting all over again. You have a framework for, you know, for how you test and try things, but ultimately the whole process feels really new. I love that. And that and that constant learning and constant growing is is super important because I'm sure you can't build very creative brands if you have a pre-existing blueprint in your head based on, you know, relying too much on past experience. Exactly. And you can tell that for in a brand when you, you know, when you see it, when something is just step and repeat, step and repeat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Final question. As a brand builder yourself and as an investor, if you could give someone building a brand now, a consumer products brand, let's say, if you could give them three key tips of stuff that they need to think about or do when it comes to this brand that they are building, what are some key do not miss things that they should do when building a brand? Okay. Number one is make sure that what you're in love with is the problem and not your own solution because the solution and your product is likely to change while you're sort of in line building. And so you have to make sure what you really understand is that problem and that's what you're trying to fix. I think there's a lot, you know, there's a real tendency to be obsessed with your product and actually the problem becomes secondary and it needs to be flipped. You really need to focus on the problem. Two is mind the data. Get it out of the market as fast as you can and then learn and make adjustments from there. If you think your brand is perfect, or your business is perfect, you likely waited too long to get out into the into the market. And so get out, get learning, make changes as you go. Your your earliest, you know, customers are great resources for building your business. You know, they don't need to see something perfectly tied up in a bow, you know, out in the market. They need to see something and react. And then three, really trust your instincts. You're building something and that's really of you, right? And then once it gets out into the world, then everyone's going to interact with it and, and touch it and have a lot of opinions about it. Make sure that, you know, when you build your own kind of personal board of advisors or your real board of advisors, that you're taking every single thing that they say with a grain of salt. These are things that are driven by their experiences. It's not always going to be true of you. You don't know the reasoning behind the, you know, the advice they're giving. And so if something doesn't tie well, to your instinct, really examine that piece of advice and decide if it feels like it's right for you or not, and then make a decision. It's really important to trust your instincts when building a brand. Ah, love this. Oh, I could keep going for another hour. (laughs) We are going to wrap up. Kimmy, tell everyone at home where they can find you, why they should find you, and what they will find there. Amazing. So find you can find me on Instagram at Kimmy Scotty, uh, just like it's spelled. You can slide into my DMs with an idea that you want to talk about, with a business that you want to pitch, or you can uh, spy my great twin content. I have twin boys and uh, they dress really cute, a lot of sunglasses. And yeah, I love to I love to hear about new ideas and talk about problems you're trying to solve. And so come come along and find me there um, and find Fig1 at fig-1.co um, or at your local CVS store. So find us on shelves um, next to your other favorite products. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Kimmy. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. I love talking about brand. And thank you for joining us for Let's Talk About Brand. Whether you are listening on your podcast player of choice via the Adweek Podcast Network, or if you're joining us here on YouTube, I hope you'll join me again next week when I'll be talking to another guest expert about another element of branding. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.